The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your game master's permission before listening. Yeah, um... Uh, this is Hello? Your dasher, yeah, this is your dasher, Gregory, from DoorDash. Um, yeah, so I, I took a left, like you said, on, on one Alderaan lane, but... Um, yes! Uh, uh, Hyperlane! Alderaan Hyperlane! Yeah, 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 I'm, I, I can't see, uh, I, I can't see your house. Do you have my Bantha fries? Uh, yeah, I've got your Bantha fries and your... My Darth combo. <laughs> Wait, it's the big, it's the big round one. Do you see it? I'm waving. Do you see me? Oh, I, okay, that's no moon. Wait a second. Is this, is this Emperor Palpatine? Oh, um, yes. Oh my God, I recognized your voice from the Dark Times podcast. Hello and welcome to the Dark Times, a Saga Edition podcast. I'm Sam, your favorite uh, Imperial Fry Cook. I'm Steven, your favorite uh, gig worker in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> podcasting, you know, we, we're, podcasting is an essential job, right? We're essential workers in this galaxy. <laughs> I think you're straight up that? like three years too late for that oh, joke. Oh man, oh man. Do you, as some, I think as someone who's worked quote unquote essential jobs, I can make those jokes. It's like my, that's my purple heart. You know, I can make those jokes. At the time I was working a job that was like in the same like vaccine rollout category as like real doctors and like, and like (laughs) stuff and stuff like, and like, then like hospital nurses. (laughs) So I was one of the first people to receive the, the COVID vaccine when it, when it dropped. And now you're a podcaster. So if that, if that's a, yeah, watch out for the side effects, folks. The side effects of the COVID vaccine is you'll start a somewhat uh, popular Star Wars podcast. <laughs> I think relatively popular is is the word I'll, I'll no, use. No, I'd here. say somewhat's better. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Stephen, what are we talking about uh, this week? Sam, there was a, a web supplement that's been on my mind for a long, long time. And hey, you know. For you equipment heads out there, I'm sorry. This is gonna be a this is gonna be a storycraft episode. Just just so you know, put put it out here in the front. There's a web supplement called Myth Making in Star Wars, which goes into like an appreciable level of depth on GMing. You know, we talk a lot about like, oh, how do I balance an encounter? How do I you know court players to my table? How do I run a, a balanced and sound game? What we need to talk about is how do I make shit interesting. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Making shit interesting is immensely hard to do because you're not necessarily competing with, but you know, they're out there. Movies, TV shows, Matthew video Mercer's. games. Yeah. Matthew Mercer, I, I guess. <laughs> I think that that's a very common uh, idea among game masters, at least in the 5e kind of circles. Yeah. Where they're, they're, they're really like stuck on, oh my God, I'm not Matthew Mercer. I'm, my game's going to suck. My players are going to hate me. I'm going to die alone. And I think that pressure comes from like two sides, right? I, I think that, you know, speaking from personal experience, most game masters are cut from a insecure cloth. Maybe, you know, we're not, we're we're not out here doing varsity football, so to speak. Like let's let's just leave it at that. Um, oh man! And you know there there are you know d- dubiously, but you know notably documented cases of players expecting a game master to be like Matthew Mercer. So you're looking at two categories of people on either side of the screen, both really really worried about what Matthew Mercer would think of their game. <laughs> Both it's a Venn diagram of D and D players and D and D game masters where it's like thinking about Matthew Mercer. <laughs> yeah, and you know, but that's not what the episode's about. But to that, I would say, don't worry about someone who's not in the room when it comes. Easier to, said than done, Stephen. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think you know. I'm sure he's released a, a Gorgillian heartfelt, like I don't know, YouTube shorts or whatever about like this problem because like, uh, allegedly he's at the center of it. But like, I don't think he would want you to compare yourself to him. I don't think he'd want you to compare your game master to him. I think uh, he's too busy counting all... your fucking money to even consider <laughs> that too. That too. Um, it, his name in your mouth is, is very, very profitable for, for him regardless of how he feels about it. 
and that's great. You know, we, we owe a lot to him and there's a lot we don't owe to him also. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't have mentioned him. We, we've gone way off yeah. course. Oh, but not what the, still not what the episode's about, by the way. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be discussing a web supplement for Saga Edition titled Myth Making in Star Wars. This one stands out because it's not like a special weapon or planet like most of the other web enhancements are. Uh, Sam, you tipped us off to this topic for today. So why don't, why don't you lead us in here? Yeah. Uh, from what I read, it is, it's a web enhancement by Matthew Grau, by the way. The only reason this article exists is because George Lucas cites the monomyth, the Joseph Campbell, as being one of his influences when it comes to the world of Star Wars. Yes. And as we'll dive into, Joseph Campbell also draws inspiration from Carl Jung. A psychologist that supposed these sort of character archetypes grew from common conceptions of people and for the purposes of storytelling, how those can be identified and viewed as important for your games or campaigns. Uh, That is a lot of word salad to say understanding why Star Wars characters are the way they are and what role they play in the story. And we want this to be a a conversation that you can input into, dear listener. Of course, you know, I, I'm I'm not a liberal arts major. I do not have a formal education in literature. Like you like just have the confidence of one. <laughs> I think you'll find that 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 is far more important than any degree. A lot of you out there are telling your own stories every week, be it at the table or maybe you're an author. You know, of, of varying scales and and uh, just leave it at author. <laughs> <laughs> We'll um, just leave it at that. We're not going to embarrass you, listener. We're just going to leave it at author. I don't care what kind of smut you write. Just leave it. <laughs> As you'll see by the end of this episode, you know, we, we have a lot to gain from incorporating a diverse array of perspectives into our discussions about storytelling. So, you know, please consider this episode as kind of a jumping off point for you to get real deep about thinking and talking about your relationship to storytelling. And be sure to drop that thinking and talking either in the comments on the Reddit post or on Discord or in our email, especially. Stephen, what is a myth maker? So Merriam-Webster says, a creator of myths or mythical situations or lore. I'm like, okay, well, you know, that's, that's good. That could have figured that's that quite one, literal. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, Oh, you know, I'll be, I'll be a so cool episode. I'll open up on the definition of, of myth maker. Right. I, like I'll, the problem is you went to the dictionary and not the encyclopedia. You should have uh, gone to the encyclopedia. And then I looked at the top two definitions of myth from Merriam Webster as well, just to kind of keep us on track here because uh, so much discourse, especially around storytelling and RPGs online Normally, you'll have two people who think they disagree with each other, but really, they, they just don't have good diction, good word choice for, for what they want to talk about. So we'll just agree on these definitions going forward. A myth is usually a traditional story of ostensibly historical events that serves to unfold part of the worldview of a people or explain a practice, belief, or natural phenomenon. Or... A myth is a popular belief or tradition that has grown up around something or someone especially one embodying the ideals and institutions of a society or a segment of society. Are we we all following? Yeah. So the web enhancement, Sam, goes to as far as to start listing like the archetypes of the hero's journey, uh, also called the monomyth, which was first popularized by the author Joseph Campbell uh, in 1949. Wow, that's a long time ago, Stephen. The book in which he popularized it was, you've probably heard your favorite English high school teacher talk about it, was The Hero with a Million Faces. I thought it was a thousand. Oh, oh, I was on the sequel. Sorry. (laughs) The Hero with a Thousand Faces. (laughs) That's the going. That's staying in. (laughs) Good. Oh, man. Honestly, I I like this web enhancement from Matthew. He does a good job of explaining these sort of characters and how they are visible in Star Wars and stuff like that. So I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version. We're Mm. going to go through the ones that we might cut a few, depending on how the episode goes. Uh, We got the hero. Steven, there's there's a few basic points here. A hero, the heroes have one thing in common, all of them. They do shit. Shit, they actually, they make, they do things, they progress, they, they don't just sit there and not do things. They don't just dwell on their, on the ideas like, they just do, they do things. 
Well, it wouldn't make a very good story, right? I suppose if they didn't. If like a real session of Saga Edition, they spent two hours discussing what they're going to do instead of just doing it. I don't know. That kind of sounds like Saga Edition to me. <laughs> Heroes are also relatable. You know, Luke Skywalker is a adoptee who grows up on a farm. I'm sure some people can find that relatable. My dad told me that in the 70s, every kid wanted to be Luke Skywalker. Yeah, I mean, with a cool outfit like that, who wouldn't want to be? Right, right. right. Bleached jeans. Like, what a guy. <laughs> However, heroes are different. Now, how can they be relatable and different at the same time? Heroes are different than the world around them. They right. have a, a desire, a longing, or something that makes it feel like they aren't completely Complacent probably isn't the right word, but I think I mean like like the um, like stationary like a the hero stands out because they can envision a world different from the one that they find themselves stuck in. They can see beyond. Taco Bell once put this as thinking outside the bun. Oh, thank thank God, the hero of the being Taco Bell in this scenario. (laughs) Heroes are flawed because being flawed is also relatable. Heroes, you know, they're not perfect. They're not, if they were perfect, they wouldn't have a journey. There wouldn't be any reason for them to have a journey, you know? That's correct. Without room to grow, there's not exactly a reason for them to be here at all, right? And folks, when we say heroes, I know this is going to sound like an English class lecture to virtually everyone listening, and that's okay. You can just <laughs> go to your other podcast if, if you'd like. We're talking about your players. We're not talking about your NPCs, by the way. If you're putting this much effort in designing your NPCs, okay, you get one of those. You can do that once. <laughs> yeah, you, you, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, Steven. Yeah. Hmm, hmm. Let's think of how many uh, Zenith Sloth NPCs are uh, would would <laughs> would have their own story separate from the party. <laughs> oh, uh, all of them because they are uh, characters in a story just like yours. Uh, However. We, uh, <laughs> I've sat down to many campaigns where I felt like I was watching someone else play with their favorite dolls. I do like the idea of Lord of the Rings, but Gandalf is the GM's player, uh, non-player <laughs> character. <laughs> All right, you guys going to come on an adventure with me. <laughs> Literally. You should put effort in developing your NPCs. But do not forget that we call your player characters heroes in this system for a reason. Mm-hmm. The efforts of your mythmaking should be centered on the players. That does not mean your NPCs need to be flimsy pieces of cardboard. And we'll talk a little bit about archetypes and how NPCs can fill that role in just a second. But don't develop your NPCs with the same amount of effort that you would your players. If you have that urge, redirect it to your players. Give your players great, complex, three-dimensional NPCs with their own arcs. Do not worry, do not you know, stress about fitting those NPCs into a, a strict monomyth. It won't work out. NPCs can be like heroes in the way that they do things, but they don't do things. You know what I mean? They're... As a GM, your job is to react to players. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm, of course, your ultimate job is to have fun. But the, the other job is to react to players because it's collaborative storytelling, all that cool stuff. Just to get back to it, heroes make sacrifices. We've got Han Solo gives up the whatever par- prize he was given uh, by the rebellion mm-hmm. to return. Like He doesn't pay Jabba. He comes back and he, he's a hero. Uh, lastly, heroes grow. Like, like Stephen was saying, if they're flawed, if they're not flawed, they can't grow, and therefore they don't do things, and they're not relatable, and they're perfect, and they're Mary Sue's, and we don't like them. No, but we like when correct. heroes grow. Give your give your players characters uh, goals to grow or reasons to grow. And keep in mind that when a hero makes a sacrifice, to step back for just a moment, it's not always willing. In fact, sometimes it, it's it's never willing. Luke Skywalker sort of did make a conscious choice to turn his back on his life on Tatooine, something he already wanted to do, but his hand was forced when his caretakers were murdered. (laughs) Princess Leia is a part of the rebellion. Her sacrifice is having to live with the guilt of her entire planet being destroyed. She was forced to watch billions of lives of her loyal subjects be incinerated 
right in front of her. Why didn't the people of Alderaan just leave? Are they stupid or something? <laughs> uh, you got ships. Just get out of there. <laughs> oh, man. Um, now let's get into like the actual archetypes that you as a game master would use. I'm glad we've defined the hero. Let's look at the other things. And, and you'll pick them up and see how they appear in Star Wars pretty easily. Up first, we've got the mentor. This is a pretty obvious one, and for those who are, it isn't obvious too. Mentors guide the hero or heroes, and however, a mentor can also be a code, not necessarily a character. The 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 code of the Jedi is a mentor. The idea of the rule of two for the Sith is a mentor. Uh, a code of laws, anything like uh, the idea of a cowboy, you know, having a code of morals that can be a mentor. The Force itself can be a mentor. Yeah, the living force can be a mentor. Uh, mentors can be a product of failure. A good example of this is Yoda. He's a product of failure. He failed oh, to, yeah. to save the Republic, and he exiles himself to a fucking swamp world. We are what they grow beyond, right? Exactly. Our, our beyond grow we are. Hmm? <laughs> Oh yeah. man! <laughs> what if he said that? Luke was just like, "What?" <laughs> That's one of those moments where he would say that, and Luke would just shoot him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, mentors don't have to be good. Obviously, we've got Palpatine. He's a bad mentor, yet he's a mentor nonetheless. Oh, I've, I've read these movies wrong. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit! I thought he was a good mentor. You mean that silly guy from the Dark Times podcast <laughs> openings? What the hell? What did you mean he that do? Zany character? What, did yeah. he do? <laughs> what did he do? <laughs> Should I be worried? We're talking about Chancellor Palpatine, right? Like what the, the <laughs> Chancellor from Naboo? Like what did he do? <laughs> Mentors can act as parental figures. Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Qui-Gon Jinn is a parental figure to Obi-Wan, who's a parental figure to Anakin. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Who is literally a parent to Luke. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Up next, we've got the, so those are the mentors, you know, Ben Kenobi's a mentor, stuff like that. We've you probably don't have trouble envisioning what a mentor looks like, um, but it's, that's also not an excuse to get, to get crazy with it. You know, oh, yeah. we, we mentioned a few unorthodox examples of a mentor. Maybe, maybe, you know, if your mentor has two arms and two legs, uh, rethink that. Yeah. A mentor can be the idea of a mentor and not necessarily exactly. a mentor directly. The idealization of a mentor. A character can be deluded into believing something is a mentor that is not. Oh. Maybe a Sith artifact that speaks to them. Maybe oh. a, a shiny rock that they mistake for a non-life <laughs> form. Oh, oh, Steven. Oh, he's pulling out of the Xena Sloth uh, box of characters again. God, I totally Give, forgot it. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Never forget about Syl. Give your force sensitive a, a shard to talk to, and everyone will think they're crazy. <laughs> yep. First first chapter of Dawn of Defiance. Oh, we've got a got a shiny rock here. And the what, what was that that mean guy with the big mouth on the on that one? Uh, Gungalore? No, that's Gungalore. Right. Yeah, I wanted to say like Gongalore, but yeah, Gung Gungalore? Gung yeah. Gal Anyway, he had a shiny rock. Turns out, a, you know, a few dozen a Chevin, sessions later, right? it's a shard. He yeah, he's a Chevin. Ah, Chevin. Chevin's another good Star Wars name. And <laughs> I'm Chevin. Oh, man. Um, this next one's a little less literal, but it can be in some senses. Uh, the Threshold Guardian. This is an archetype that tests the hero, makes sure they're ready for the next step of their journey. Whether it's a... A uh, nurturing way of testing, a protective way of testing, or a way that has to happen to the hero regardless of what's going on. Uh, it's it's an obstacle that keeps in the way of progressing the story. Owen Lars is a threshold guardian. He keeps Luke safe on Tatooine, does not want him to go join the Academy and eventually leave and join the Rebellion. Darth Maul is a threshold guardian. He he literally prevents, quite literally. Yeah. He prevents them from progressing through the threshold. Um, the Jedi council is a threshold guardian in the sense that they don't want Anakin to be trained and Anakin passes their sort of that test that they have. And eventually he becomes trained anyway. 
They also uh, an important check of the Jedi Council on on Anakin as a threshold guardian is when he tries to attain the rank of master. That's a second time they they, they threshold yeah. him not once but twice. That alone was was a major impetus in in his fall to the dark side. And he was not ready. And then somehow George made Kyadi Mundi a Jedi Knight on the Jedi Council as well for some reason. <laughs> did, did you know that? <laughs> is the that whole because, drama is it because he can't. He can't be celibate. Is that what it is? Is it the celibacy again, George? Kiati Mundi's race needs fucking repopulation. And oh, oh, sorry, you can't be a Jedi Master because you need to make sure your species doesn't die out. Like <laughs> it's so, it's so arbitrary, man. It's so Kiati Mundi did become a Jedi Master, but he was permitted on the council before attaining that rank. What the fuck? <laughs> why, why George Greenlit that? No one really knows. Damn, I would be double salty as Anakin then. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Because at that... Wait, wait, wait. Because at that point, it's not even necessary to mention that he's not a master. You could just be like, yeah, you're on the council. Congrats. You don't have to be like, also, you're not a master. Don't fucking forget it. <laughs> like, Anakin's like, yeah, I know. Like, Keanu Mundi's here. Obviously, I'm not a master. Well, they, they did it... <laughs> They did it there because they didn't want Anakin to find out on his pay stub later when it still said Jedi Knight Unpaid intern. It. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Imperial spy? What's the, why does that say that on my pay stub? Um, up next, we have another archetype, the Herald. This is a quote from Matthew directly. They are the energy that motivates the hero to be a hero. Ah. It's... Similar to the threshold, it's, it takes place after the threshold guardian. Luke seeing the message from Le- uh, Leia and being enamored yes. by her is a herald. It's it's it wants him. It inspires him to do his journey. It is a tantalizing glimpse at the world that the hero envisions. The exactly. world that the hero wants to live in. It's not quite a point of no return, but it inspires something in the hero where they can't return to their own life or they don't want to. Up next, we have uh, the shadow which is really the antagonist of the story. Uh, It can represent, it doesn't have to be a physical antagonist. It can just represent what the hero fears in themselves or the world. Uh, A good, a good shadow is also relatable to the hero in a way that the hero can see themselves becoming that if things were slightly different. Uh, It can also be persuasive to the hero, seductive, even uh, Chancellor Palpatine holding the fact that, Oh, you could save your wife from dying in childbirth to Anakin is persuasion of the dark side of that sort of seductive shadow. And obviously, of course, Vader is the shadow to Luke in his story. A hundred percent. Luke literally has a vision on Dagobah. Oh, you beat me too. And I was going to say, yeah, where he cuts off Vader's head and it's him inside. It's great. Exactly. Luke, Luke's greatest fear is becoming what he fears the most. What fucking ham-fisted George. (laughs) What's that? Uh, it's so, is that is it ham fisted? It feels ham fisted. They'd be like, oh, it look, it's was you. not ham fisted in 1976. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. That's so funny. We cannot. It's like we cannot go back to the origin of popular imagery and be like, that is so benign and reductive. How what were they <laughs> thinking? That's how I feel when I watch like. Uh, TV shows from the 70s and I'm like this is stupid what the f- we've done this a million times already it's like yeah this is where it started you idiot yeah. <laughs> this next one's really weird the shapeshifter I think it sucks it, it, it basically is any character <laughs> I, think I, th- I think it sucks any character who isn't the hero but is also like an inconsistent force they say that Han Solo changing his mind is makes him a shapeshifter Leia deciding that she loves Han Solo or hates him, it makes her a shapeshifter. And I'm like, what the mm. fuck are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure right? about that latter <laughs> example is strange because Leia's love for Han doesn't really it's called have thematic importance. Yeah, exactly. The, it was kind of thrown in there. Uh, out uh, there's it says something about the shapeshifter being an outsider, not necessarily a part of the hero's initial world, but also not part of their ideal world, idealized world. I think this means that characters should be deep and complex, but I can see why some people would think that this deserves to be its own archetype. I think it just means, oh, characters have uh, will change how they feel. What the fuck? That's crazy. When 
when characters change in accordance to the themes of the story you're trying to tell, the message you're trying to get across, it can be very powerful. Hans, Hans is a great example here. Han's choice to do the right thing is that Star Wars baby, right? Like Han choosing the rebellion over his own safety, Han making a selfless choice, perhaps the first selfless choice he made in his entire life um, is important. (laughs) It, it, It resonates the themes that Luke learns throughout all three movies. I think about, you know, the most important moment in Star Wars to me and to many, many others, it's been covered endlessly is the single motion of Luke throwing aside his lightsaber when he's when he confronts the emperor when he finally learns what it means to be a jedi what it means to choose to do the right thing in his scenario it it's to cast aside his weapon and he tells the emperor you have failed your highness yeah no that i 100% agree mm-hmm. do i think growth for characters that aren't the hero means that they're shapeshifters not real i mean I, right? Like it's, it's a weird moniker for it. I feel like I don't it is think weird. It's, it's, it's probably a weak example out of the rest of the, the entries on this list for sure. And our, our last entry on the list, uh, which I, a strong finish here, the trickster, right? We're, weirdly enough, this is a comic relief that also progresses the story forward. We're talking R2D2 C3PO Jar 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 Jar. I mean, technically salacious yes. B crumb salacious B crumb. He progresses the story forward by trying to yeah. fight R2D2. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yoda. Yoda is definitely a good example of this. He's yes. Comic relief while being the Jedi master Luke's looking for mm-hmm. uh, this idea of these characters being this archetype being humorous while still being invested in the other characters and their surrounding story. I, it's one of those things where to people who are experienced with storytelling would be like, oh, that's obvious. Obviously, we you wouldn't want to just have shoehorned in comedy that has no effect to the story. Like, for example, cough, cough, Jawa slapstick, uh, cough. Um, it's not. I will, I will die before um, yeah, you, you take the Jawas out of Star Wars. No, 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 no. Not the Jawas specifically, but the two Jawas that are trying to like wrestle a giant like lizard in the the remaster that George did, you know, right after. Luke's, oh, yeah, yeah. The Jawas slapstick. The, 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 Wasn't that like six seconds on like the one side of the screen during a pan shot of Moss Eisley? <laughs> did it need to be there? <laughs> does it progress it has the, life to the scene? Does it progress the story forward? It's world building. It's not. The world was built, brother, 30 (laughs) years ago. He was done. The shit happened already. They filmed that shit in Tunisia. Do you fucking get what I'm saying? (laughs) This is a good episode. I think I do now. (laughs) That shit was filmed in Tunisia already. If it was fucking necessary then, it would have been filmed then. I know George George saw Jurassic Park and he was like, fuck, I should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> Giant fucked up lizard in my and on Tatooine. Fucking oh my one that fucking swings Jawas around. <laughs> God damn. God, oh man. Okay. Um those are the archetypes that, that were discussed in this this sort of web enhancement. I highly recommend you go read it. But like with everything else on the internet, you read it with a grain of salt. Yeah, and we might be getting into a few grains of salt of our own after the break here. So if you thought this was a snooze... I've got a huge stack of these grains of salt, Stephen. I don't know what to do with these things. People keep telling me grain of salt. They don't tell you what to do with it afterwards. (laughs) Do I eat it? Do I throw it away? Like, what's going on? If you're bored, if you're asleep at the wheel, good. Because... (laughs) We're going to be exhuming a corpse after the break. Stick oh around. Oh my gosh. Uh, I hope you're not asleep at the wheel. I just yelled in your fucking ear about John with slapstick for 15 seconds. <laughs> Steven. What's up, Sam? <laughs> this is the part of the show where we say thank you for listening to the show. Steven, how can, how can people support the show? The number one easiest way to support the show uh, is the one you're already doing, dear listener. Every listen to the show shows us, no pun intended, that uh, what we're doing is worth your time. And to be frank, we are immensely grateful for that. Uh, The fact that people, uh, hundreds of you even, allow us to be part of your daily lives, that you appreciate 
uh, they, they say Sam and I have a, a, a dynamic. Do you, you hear about that, Sam? They say we have chemistry, a bit of a, I believe was the a, word. A, a ca- right? Chemistry. That's the one that's usually thrown around. Yeah. Um, it, it means everything that you're out here listening uh, to us. So we sincerely thank you for doing so. And we hope that you continue. I think we got told that by the guy who used to work at a brewery. Oh, brewery. Well, he Dave? used to work at a brewery, but doesn't work yeah, at a brewery for, anymore. Former brewery, Dave. Yeah, his name's not Dave. His I name's feel bad. Not Dave. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He used to work at a brewery, and I remember like early on, like episode fifteen, I think he was like, "You guys have great chemistry. I like listening to the show." And then, like episode eighty-seven, we get another email that says, "You guys are the show." So uh, I'm just saying that, uh, you know, Stephen and I, we we we, we kind of get it. We kind of get it. We we kind of understand each other. We have a rapport, you know. The the show. Uh, is not free for us to run and, and we rely entirely on listener donations to keep the machine running. If you've heard about PBS, something about listeners like you, that's us, baby. Um, we pay for hosting fees. We pay for sound equipment. We take time out of our like real jobs. We, we have real jobs, by the way, we, we swear. Um, I, yeah, real, yeah. real job. Totally. I, I've got one of those. I, I'm a substitute teacher for at-risk youths <laughs> in an inner city community. Uh, Sam does balloon animals for children's at parties. The school. <laughs> yeah. Balloon animals for children. I actually write freelance SpongeBob episodes on the side. <laughs> I, that would imply you have a customer who's commissioning you for like unofficial SpongeBob scripts. You joke, Steven. I can do balloon animals. <laughs> It comes natural to any middle school janitor. (laughs) Um, You can support us financially on our Patreon. Uh, There's a $5 and a $10 tier. You're under no obligation to be a member of our Patreon to enjoy the podcast, but we'll go over a few reasons why you might want to. First off, patronage at the $5 tier for three months gets you a special sticker with our D20 Cron logo. Looking quite spiffy, I might add. It is a perfect water bottle sticker. It's four inches by four inches. It's a limited, hexagon. Limited time. Limited time too. only. That's not going to be around forever. Uh, yeah. You know, after we pivot games here, after episode 100, I, don't, I can't guarantee you'll be able to get that sticker ever again, just so you know. Yeah. The $10 tier uh, allots you the same prize with the addition of a t-shirt also running on short supply. There's a few other bits of bonus content sprinkled throughout. Uh, There's a big one upcoming, our first foray into a little thing called video content. That'll be on there before you know it. Did you know anything you can throw video on these things? I've never, I thought all podcasts were audio only. I didn't know you could throw a video on this. Not to mention audio commentary track for the esteemed uh, ancillary Star Wars film. Emphasis on ciliary. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, commentary like that. Tune into the Ewoks adventure a Caravan of Courage. This movie has multiple titles, Sam. Which one are we choosing? Ewok adventure, a Caravan of Courage. Caravan of Courage and Ewok adventure. I think that one. I've heard it called Ewoks, Caravan of Courage, and Caravan of Courage, and Ewok Adventure. And Ewoks Adventure, a Caravan of Courage. Yeah, it was, you get it. Want to watch a bad Star Wars movie? and With us? Don't, with us. And, you know, critics are calling it, you made this movie watchable for me. And <laughs> I don't want to watch this movie again, but I loved the track, guys. I've, <laughs> I definitely, honestly, I did go back and watch it with our commentary track. And I was busting uh, it still man. rocks. It's I too, I tune funny. into it sometimes too. I'll just skip around to various parts and like it. It was really it's funny. So funny. I had a great time. Me too. Uh, I can't. We'll, we really maybe we'll should do, do other bad Star Wars movies like uh, Return of the Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, this since we are in the last ten episodes of the Dark Times, a Saga oh. Edition podcast, we wanted to give you guys a little breathing room. So we've decided these last 10 episodes are going to be bi-weekly. Yeah. People are writing in saying, oh my gosh, you're ending, but I'm still catching up. You know, I want to be part of this. So we're going to slow the roll a little bit. It'll also give us some room to push out some of that promised Patreon content that, that you are owed. And uh, yeah, and yeah we'll, we'll be right here rocking alongside you. So this episode comes out today, uh, January 31st. Your next episode will not be until... 
February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day, Dark Timers. <laughs> Maybe we'll do something special. I'll send you guys back to the show. What the fuck's going on? Uh, Steven, did you have some more that uh, we talked about the archetypes from Carl Jung? Um, did you have something more about Joseph Campbell and his uh, whole deal? Oh, just a few things, Sam. Just some notes, just some just light some notes. notes. So, how do I put this, Stephen? I'm, here's how you put this. You actually you put it at thirty point font, bolded, and also spelled his name wrong. So. How did I'll read you, it out loud from the this? show notes then at appropriate volume. Joseph Campbell fucking sucks. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. We're not we're not gonna we're not gonna cancel Joseph Campbell. Okay. We're 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 not here to enact justice a hundred years too late. That's not that's not what I'm here to do. There has been developments in the intellectual world surrounding Joseph Campbell. Wait, wait, wait. You mean, you mean we've like improved our thoughts on this thing as a society since 1949? Yes, Sam. I'm delighted to inform you that we have additional ideas on this subject since 1949. Oh, thank uh, God. Yes. We, the, the, it turns out the guy who sought to unify storytelling into a single theory it turns out maybe he missed the mark on a, on a couple things. You're saying the monomyth, the hero's journey is for chuckle Fox. I'm not saying that because there is tangible value in the monomyth. And we'll get, we'll, we'll get into that probably. Right. Yes. I want everyone to understand that it is not what it is advertised as. It is not a grand unifying theory of storytelling nor should it inform your journey of storytelling either. Did you have some, you had some thoughts about Joseph Campbell as well? Yes. And, and jo- there's some specific thoughts about Joseph himself that, that maybe w- w- I'll, I'll lay out the evidence. You tell me if you think this is a reliable guy <laughs> to inform your storytelling. Okay. Well, well I just, I'm interested in what you think. Next time you have a bad soapbox, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm be like in eighth grade, Steven had blue hair. What do you think of that? What do you <laughs> so Joseph Campbell was, you know, not not like a, a one percenter necessarily. He did live in a shack for most of the Great Depression. Let's be clear. The guy to be had fair, everyone struggles. was. Yeah, but everyone was at the time too. So it was the fashion at the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was from a relatively well-off family with an esteemed college education in the middle of the 20th century. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that some of his ideas, some parts of his worldview, just don't hold up today, nearly 100 years later. Right at the top, Campbell claims that women cannot be a hero in his alleged monomyth. Uh, in the meeting with the goddess segment of the monomyth, oh my, you I got, reading, You got this sourced? Yes, I got this sourced directly from the hero with a thousand faces, 1949. Page 109 when the adventurer in this context is not a youth, but a maid, she is the one who, by her qualities, her beauty, her yearning, is fit to become the consort of an immortal. Then the heavenly husband descends to her and conducts her to his bed, whether she will or no. Whoa, what the fuck? You can't just say that. Doesn't that sound pretty outdated? Yeah. Should we consider that... This very outdated idea, and for those of you who are not in the mood to understand what the fuck that meant, it essentially says the woman is not an adventurer, but merely the consort to a god. The god descends to the woman's level and then beds her, whether she would like that or not. This is what I imagine it would be like if you were like a cyber preacher. (laughs) You know, our friends the other day were telling me I could really make it as a televangelist, and that was one of the greatest compliments I've received in a that while. Just, that's so evil to think about. <laughs> so we could probably dedicate a whole podcast episode to why that statement is a problem, but that's not what this podcast is for. But consider that this is the content of the book that allegedly, you know, boilerplates storytelling. Next up, we'll do the Unabomber's Manifesto and his views on women, too. 
<laughs> can I include that? I can include that. I can stay in. Uh, yeah, leave that one in for the real ones, maybe. I don't know. It's pretty funny, I think. I think so, too. I'm not endorsing the Unabomber in, in that. No, yeah, yeah, of course. His description of the monomyth, and this is towards the end of, of uh, or sorry, this is towards the beginning of the book when he's laying out, you know, the grand, you know, structure, getting very descriptive as to what the monomyth is and should be, is so simplistic, it's almost boring. I'm going to read these following excerpts, and I want you to consider this question while I read them, Okay. Do I go on a hero's journey if I go to the grocery store for milk or oat milk, if that's your thing? Almond milk. I I prefer oat. I I prefer oat too. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Page 28. The standard path of the mythological adventure of the hero is a magnification of the formula represented in the rites of passage, separation, initiation, return which might be named the nuclear unit of the monomyth. He literally says this is the core of it. A hero ventures forth from the world of common day into the region of supernatural wonder. Fabulous forces are there encountered and a decisive victory is won. The hero comes back from this mysterious adventure with the power to bestow boons on his fellow man. So this says a character sets out to do something. They do it. And they returned having done it. That's not exactly a formula now, is it? That's just kind of like doing something. That, that's just describing any sort of action taking place at all, right? Let's go back to your 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 question. Did I go on so, a hero's journey if I go to the grocery store for milk? If the grocery store's in Mordor, then yeah. <laughs> if you're lactose intolerant, then yes. <laughs> <laughs> it it is perhaps maybe a bit reductive maybe a bit opaque to say that oh a story is when a guy goes out and does something and hey it's a little hard but he does it and he comes back and everything's good again and also women can't do it <laughs> and also women can't do it the the kind of rhetoric angle of the hero with a thousand faces was that Campbell allegedly studied a lot of world cultures and claimed that the same things happen across the myths of every culture. Two cultures that he focused on, including the latter of which he studied extensively were Islam and Hindu cultures. Let's, let's take a closer look about his actual experience with these cultures. First off, it's important to note that even to this day, and even back then, Campbell's books never found acceptance with any major academics in the field of folklorism. That's the academic study of folklore. Campbell, uh, Campbell's doctorate was in literature, not in anthropology. He was not formally versed in the study of culture. I'm going to say that one more time. Campbell was not formally versed in the study of culture, Yet he's credited as the guy who found the formula for mythmaking. That's so funny. What do we define a myth as, Sam? Uh, you go out and do something? No, a myth is a oh, popular sorry. belief or tradition <laughs> that has grown up around something or someone, especially embodying the ideas and institutions of a society or a segment therein. You're going to make big claims about societies, but you're going to study them superficially? Let's continue on. His book makes frequent <laughs> references to Indian myths, but he never actually visited India until 1956, seven years after his book came out, seven years after he dedicated a full decade of research to allegedly demystifying and systematizing mythmaking. I, Stephen, he didn't I even know Sanskrit. <laughs> he didn't even know Sanskrit, Sam. He doesn't even know Sanskrit. <laughs> Another Steven, passage. Really quick. Oh, what's up? What's up? <laughs> when I brought this to you, I did not expect you to, to be fully torqued on uh, on this topic in any way or form. I thought it was going to be something really cool that we just kind of riff off of for a little bit. I didn't think you were going to have personal, what feels like personal experience with Joseph Campbell. <laughs> like it, the way you talk about him, it sounds like he spilled his wine on your suit jacket. Like. <laughs> He spilled his wine 
false academic findings on my suit, <laughs> Western storytelling. And I just happen to be a Western storyteller, Sam. Absolutely. Oh, man. Here's another passage, uh, this time about Islam, page 40 of The Hero with a Thousand Faces. The concerted bowing three times a day of the Mohammedan community throughout the world, all pointing like the spokes of a world-extensive wheel to the centering Kabah, constructs a vast living symbol of submission, Islam, of each and all to Allah's will. Hey, Sam. Yeah? Muslims pray five times a day, <laughs> not three. Uh, to be fair, not all of them do, but I understand the okay. point you're making. No, no, no. no. Practicing no. Muslims yeah, yeah. pray five times a day, or, you know, <laughs> they, they dig it where they can. But the, the, the guideline is five. <laughs> I don't think he surveyed 40,000 Muslims and found that. Was he thinking during meals, like before meals? Was this like his. Like. He's the concerted bowing. He's talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe he thinks the three times comes from, you know, because Christianity, they pray before meals, typically. Sam, concerted means all at once. Oh, that's pretty fucking. That's so fucking funny. That's so funny. (laughs) Concerted means like in tandem, like in concert, like like coordinated. No, I understood. We we eat at the same time. We (laughs) (laughs) You stupid motherfucker. Not to mention, (laughs) Muslims aren't even eating three meals a day a month out of the year. That's fair. It's a fair point. No, listen, I'm not. I'm not coming to bat for for Joseph Campbell. They didn't call me up to bat here. I'm just. I'm just. You know, benefit of the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he thought prayer only happens before meals. (laughs) That's actually. Hang on to that. Put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that later. The point that passage serves to make is that if he allegedly rigorously studied all these cultures, but could not get the superficial Muslims pray five times a day fact correct, I don't know how much actual digging he did. We don't really know how much digging he actually did because he was wrong about so very much. Not to mention he was really into Jung, which uh, that guy fucked up a lot of stuff, especially regarding medieval literature and uh uh, alchemy but we just uh, talked about his whole archetype thing and how are, are you okay <laughs> <laughs> you just turn towards the camera at me it's not the fucking office it's a podcast come on the archetypes make sense the justifications for those archetypes as well as a large body of the rest of Jung's work are suspect okay that's fair that's fair Yes. If you like the archetypes, use them. I don't fucking care. I use them. They're easy. And we'll get, we're, we're so close to my big point here. I promise. <laughs> Campbell's biggest sin was that he took his perspective, his worldview, his study, his academia, and marketed it as the universal viewpoint. That because he studied these other cultures, these other myths, to his satisfaction, he thought he found a goldmine, a unifying theory of storytelling, when really he found the perspective of a well-off Western man. There's nothing wrong with having that perspective. I have that perspective. It's important to know what perspective of the world you have. When you're conscious of your own worldview, you can look at the world from a more fair point of view, wouldn't you say, Sam? Yeah, it's called being self-aware of your idiocy. Exactly. In your case, but what do we do? (laughs) But what? What do we do, Sam? You know, I, I was. We're all trained on the Campbell monomyth. From our Star Wars themed upbringing, the bed sheets and everything. Now, what did that do to you? You're a podcaster now. <laughs> All the way, exactly. All the way through my public high school education, where Campbell was thumped against my desk nonstop by several other well to do Western men. What can we do, Stephen? We can do a lot. We have a lot more at our fingertips than they did 100 years ago. If you're curious about storytelling in other cultures, especially cultures other than your own, you can reach for primary sources from those cultures. 
We have a massive advantage on Campbell. We have the internet. We also have youth. That dead bastard. (laughs) (laughs) The internet is full of people from the entire world who are desperate to share their story, their perspective with you. All you have to do is listen. Your local library has featured stories from people who are entirely different from you. You can read stories from people who grew up in remote mountain villages. You can read stories from people whose homes were destroyed before they were even old enough to form memories. You can read stories from people who watched their entire countryside change in one generation from farmers to engineers. You can use social media to locate artists and authors who are sharing their experience for all to see in real time for free. You'll never be able to truly understand their perspective as they experience it, but you can get really damn close. A hell of a lot closer than Campbell ever did, Mr. Three Times a Day. (laughs) How many times he stroked his own fucking ego? (laughs) He fucked Steinbeck's wife, by the way. That's an important detail. He had an affair with Steinbeck's wife back in the 40s. It meant sharing ankles or something. I don't know. (laughs) Touching ankles. You can embody, practice, bolster, and spread the stories you know from your lived experience and worldview. You are a human being alive on planet Earth. You have a lot in common with a lot of people, but you are entirely unique. You're on the freeway with everyone else every day. You go to the bathroom around the same time as everyone else. You probably eat roughly the same types of meals everyone else does. But your feelings, the things you've experienced, your fears are unique. And that is your fuel for telling your story. And, and we're still talking about Star Wars RPGs, by the way, but it, can, it applies to everything. <laughs> Just like being a good game master applies to everything as well. <laughs> exactly. Campbell did the work to interrogate and understand his own worldview. He just came to the wrong conclusion by maybe no fault of his own. I'm not the ultimate judge on his fate. That's God's fucking. <laughs> yeah. That's not my, not my area to decide. Maybe it's yours. You can do the same thing. Just don't go claiming that you solved the human experience. Don't approach the exploration of new ideas with the intention to line them up and correlate them. I'm a scientist. Every day is a battle for me to approach things with a fresh, objective point of view. It's not my duty to draw correlations before I have the data, right? It's not your job to figure out how you feel about another culture's myth cycle before you even read it. We're not here to unify things. That's out. That's done. We're leaving that in the 40s. We're leaving that in the 20th century. When you approach things with the intent to unify, you're going to miss the subtle differences that make these cultures, these stories, these people unique. You will become sent blind to the lived experience if you do not do this. What if, Sam, what if you approached every person? Sam, you work, you, you work a customer-facing job. What if you approached every customer like you had already seen them before, like you already know their problem and like you've already solved it a thousand times. Um, this is a bad example, Stephen, because I have. Uh, yes, <laughs> that's human, though. That's that's human. That's so okay. So, you know, obviously you can't do that. You you can't. It just doesn't work that way. People are different. Their situations are different, and you have to take on each one as you would for the first time, because it is the first time. Regardless, you may have similarities like we've seen similarities in cultures that you can draw from and um, relate to your own personal experiences, but ultimately they're going to be different. Very well said. Thank you. I took it from you (laughs) just just now. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. Have you been in the customer service situation where you were the customer and you dealt with a representative who thought they already solved your shit? Um... No, I'm, I, I have. I, I, you but, have? Okay, let's hear, I would yeah. love to hear about it. I'm really good at explaining my problems, though. And I don't, I don't usually go, I don't know. Hmm, not that I can recall. Well, wait, what does any of this have to do with Star Wars? 
Weren't, weren't we talking about Star Wars? We're talking when, about when game did this mastering? Be- What's going on? Yeah. Wait. When did this become literary analysis podcast? We just lost the last of our patrons, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the giant live ticker behind you did tick down to zero just now. Really sad. It went back up to two, but then it went back yeah. down to zero. <laughs> Hollywood loves the monomyth. And Star Wars was explicitly built around it. Many films have been. The sign of thought was favored because it was fresh at the time. It was kind of trendy in, in the, the 60s through the 80s to, to be a movie writer and, and, and know this stuff. But it's popular because it produced a movie writing, a script writing template that generated large and predictable profits every time. That's why it's hung on. That's why it's taught in filmmaking school. That's why if you go online and Google this controversy, which you will find a lot of, if you're interested, most of the people rising to the Campbell's defense are screenwriters. <laughs> it, I, I, I bet it has to do with appealing to the least common, the most common denominator, right? It does. Well, think about it. Think about what I've talked about for the past 10 minutes, 20 minutes, depending on how you edit this. <laughs> 30 minutes 40 minutes 50 minutes <laughs> Campbell investigated thoroughly his storytelling perspective as a westerner he thought it was everyone's storytelling perspective which is the problem with Campbell it's no surprise to me that the westerner perspective on storytelling works really well for western movies Duh, right? He found the long way around the Western storytelling formula that we call the hero's journey, that we call the monomyth. Duh, it makes a movie that most people like enough to pay a $20 ticket to see. God, inflation's so bad these days. Yeah, huh? $20 I almost said six, <laughs> but I was like, it's not 2009 anymore. <laughs> $4 on Sundays. It also has this reputation of being a big discovery that's very old. We hang on to those. Knowledge is fundamentally based on old discoveries. Just because something is old, should we cling to it? Is there anything else from the 20th century that we wanted to leave behind? Dude, knowledge is based. Knowledge is based. <laughs> I know. I thought about it. I was like, why did I pause on that? <laughs> Do we should we bring back uranium glass, Sam? Lead paint. That's a pretty big one from the 20th yeah. century. Asbestos. Yeah. <laughs> Lead paint? Should we should we what was the civil rights situation like in 1949, Sam? Why are you asking me? Exactly. <laughs> it's pretty bad. It pretty bad. <laughs> I'm not saying that to equate Campbell with like, you know, segregationist movements or anything like that. But consider you know, if someone is saying that Campbell's shit is so good because it's old, do we do we need do we need it for that reason alone? Can is, can Star Wars evolve past the monomyth, or is it inseparable? That's for you to decide. That's for you to practice at your table. That's all I got. That's wow. That's pretty fucking insightful, Stephen. Um, thank you. Yeah, no, I I that it definitely is a. That comes from someone I admire greatly as a game master and friend. So as, as a person who I've witnessed your level of storytelling and have seen how you break those sort of tropes, those archetypes that we are so coddled with, uh, um, it's it's definitely, it makes for the more memorable moments at the table. And I think that's something that's that we can all agree on that we enjoy is memorable moments at the table. And you can't, you don't make those following a formula, right? Because that's not what makes them memorable. They're not memorable because we expected it to happen. They're memorable because of you rolled a nat one against the boss or you rolled a nat 20 against the boss. Those are great. Those are memorable moments. My favorite, um, like, anti-hero's journey character right now is your character, Atorn. <laughs> because Atorn was fashioned in the classic bright young startup hero. And he had his hero's journey. It had begun. It had kicked off 
with all the right beats in all the right ways. He had mentors. He had threshold checkers. He had, you know, when he received the armor of his people as a Mandalorian, it was a big moment. He was beginning to grow into, you know, his own kind of man. And then he died suddenly, tragically, in an act of heroism. And it's a memorable moment. And I still think it's about that. A memorable moment. He faced down a dozen TIE fighters and died almost immediately. Some TIE bombers no too. Let's not, yeah. let's not <laughs> short. Whoa, 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 whoa. These weren't no CL3, you know, these were TIE yes, bombers yes. also. We're all, we're all aware of, of how concussion missiles go. <laughs> uh, the, the point, and you, you're exactly, Stephen. The point is that because it was unexpected, and different is what made it memorable. And it, because it came from a, a place of our experiences and diverging from those, from those. And it cast a long shadow, oh, I love a it. shadow so, so long that it literally manifested as a resurrected cyborg and tried <laughs> to kill the party. Oh, so good. Oh man. Talk about a shadow, the hedgehog. <laughs> Shadow's not a cyborg. It's a mechasonic, Steve. It's a mechasonic. That's so funny. Man. Wow. Yeah. I'm I'm glad we can leave the audience on that one. That's a it's a great how about we uh since we've got two weeks before the next episode, how about you send us an email with your favorite myth or myth making moment at the table that wasn't the, you know, pull a sword from a stone prophecy, all that all that jazz. If you have a story or a myth from your culture that you'd like to share that you think, you know, is a good example of not Campbellian fuckery, or maybe it is, it's up to you. We're really excited to hear back from you guys on this one, and we hope that we do. I'd love to hear how you have taken your experiences and your personal feelings and put them into your games, because that is really a a great part of being a game master. And Steven's done this before, where he's given us he's like implanted his fears into the campaign oh absolutely in a way that affects us like personally <laughs> absolutely my my thoughts my fears are the basis for my campaign design i the literally my first bbg came from a nightmare i had <laughs> i want to hear how you do it and I hope that I do. Yeah. And as always, the show is the point of the show is to inspire and to hear your thoughts, audience, and help you become better storytellers, become better game masters, become better Star Wars stories than solo a Star Wars story. That's the goal. That's our baseline. Yeah. <laughs> our baseline is solo a Star Wars story. If you can beat solo, you're doing great. Um, and also, as always, the Dark Times, a Saga Edition podcast is produced by me, Sam. Oh, wait, Stephen, do we have any trivia this week? I was just pulling it up. Awesome. Admiral Akbar's famous line, it's a trap, was originally scripted to be, it's a trick. But the line was <laughs> changed in post-production after a negative test screening. Uh, can you imagine? Why did he say, wait, what? He's, what did he say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a trick. I just like, how did that, in those little, in those little info cards that they give you for test screenings? Like, did someone write, I really don't like how he said it's a trick. Do you, I wonder if (laughs) that, that specifically, such such micro marketing weirdness. Yeah. This, this star Wars thing, like it's cool, right? It's not quite fantasy, not quite sci-fi. Um, there is this one moment that really just took me out of the whole film. It was when the weird fish guy said it's a trick. And yeah. I just didn't, I, 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 you know, I didn't, I didn't vibe with it. I didn't jive with that. <laughs> oh man. If, if I was a time traveler, I would go back and, and watch the, the screening cuts of star Wars to really see what they were, what they were kind of playing with back then. Oh man. Oh, one more. Well, oh yeah. Sir Alec Guinness filmed his return of the Jedi cameo in just one day. Good. I'm sure he was fucking ready I for know. it. That's why he's kind of, I like, I like, that that's a weird scene because like Alec Guinness is very spacey and like yeah. kind of just doesn't seem to be too into it. 
which makes sense because he's like, oh, fuck, another goddamn Star Wars movie. Um, <laughs> but it, it, I guess it, it, it's really justified by the fact that he's a ghost in that yeah, scene. Yeah, he's supposed to be. He's, he's, like he's doing not all shit. there. Yeah, exactly. Remember when he like puts his hands up and then like doesn't say anything for like a solid two seconds? <laughs> Listen, he's dude. Like, if, he if he you... does this. He's like, don't go, Luke. It's like, okay, I don't <laughs> It's Listen, weird, but it makes sense it, for a ghost, I guess. If you didn't know you were going to come back and see this kid that you, like, sacrificed yourself for, I think you'd be surprised, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Yoda being like, no, oh, no, there's another. And Obi-Wan's like, I know I was there. Like, like, like why do you? <laughs> oh, man. Uh Good times. The Dark Times is produced and edited by me, Sam. Steve is my co-host. You can reach out to us on Twitter at DarkTimesSWSE or email us DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com. As a reminder, uh, the next 10 episodes will be the last of our Saga Edition uh, strut through this podcasting foray we call life. Uh, the next episode comes out February 14th, not February 7th. There's going to be that in the description as well. Uh, email us DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com. Review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. Tell someone about the show and tell us you told them about the show. Tell your table about the show and tell us about their myths that they've brought to you. And we'll share them all on the show as well as a shout out for your table. Steven, do you have a quote for us this week? Master Yoda, you can't die. <laughs> Watch me. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. Oh, man. <laughs> Fucking got you, I did. <laughs> Thought I was gone, or you were. <laughs>